We want to talk about faith. We want to talk about um, politics. We want to talk about race. We want to talk about pop culture. Literally, everything, 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 everything is up for discussion, and that's what French culture is about. About, about, about. What's going on, world? This is episode 33 of Brunch Culture. I'm your host, Mr. Randall Keith. And as always, I'm joined by my great, great, and hilariously funny co-host, Ms. Lisa Victoria. What's up, world? All right, y'all. So let's hop into this weekend review. We have some unfortunate news I think unfortunate news for the ladies that experienced it and for people that don't support them, great news. But five ladies of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated that participated in the reality show Sorority Sisters that was just recently um, ended abruptly last week by VH1, they were unfortunately expelled from, uh, from their sorority. So they are no longer members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and their name's actually on the website. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty rough, you know, situation. I think that there, and I don't know, again, I'm not a Delta. I've had a conversation with the Delta and I made this statement and she literally jumped down my throat. But I thought that when I first heard it, I thought it was a joke. Then I read like an article on it and I actually went to the website to look it up just to reference for myself. So I knew before I spoke on it and I thought, you know, expelling them from the sorority. I was like, man, that's that's a bit harsh. Um, And you just think these ladies work so hard to be a part of this organization. And again, I don't know the details from what I've heard is that they knew very, they were, they were told before they were kind of warned uh, before doing it. And of course that there's like confidentiality agreements and things like that, that go into play that by doing the show they breached. Uh, I end up watching the, sh- the episode of the dialogue just yesterday online. And I think this was like the VH1 special where they had where the ladies got to talk about their perspective from the show. And that actually made me feel a little bit better about it. As you guys know, I wasn't supporting the show. I've talked about it before. Like I thought the show was trash. I still think the show was kind of whack, but I think that listening to the ladies give their perspective on it, I felt a little bit more compassionate about it and saying like, ah, I think they just kind of made a dumb mistake I think that they should have known. I mean, I think as somebody that's a part of the Greek community, I know like I would never do it. It's not even something I would even entertain or be interested in. But I think the ladies weren't expecting that much of a backlash. And just to think about it, you care so much about your organization and you, you've you fought hard to be a part of it and the bonds that you've made being in that and the work that you've done and to have that be stripped away from you and you can never be a part of that that officially a part of that that bond anymore i think that was that's the part that i keep thinking like dang man like i just coming just i can't even fathom that but for their from their perspective thinking about what they said on that show that i watched that special i watched i just thought it was a it's a pretty pretty rough thing pretty big deal yeah i was just glad it got taken off i mean you know i'm not greek you are so i can't really identify fully to you 
the extent and the depth of the sisterhood or brotherhood and of fraternities and sororities. Um, however, I know that I felt like the show was bad for, for sororities, but I think that's most black reality shows on VH1. <laughs> They're bad right. for the black image period. So right. Right. I would and like I- to see us protest. And if our protesting has this kind of power to take a reality show off, what can we do for things like, um, uh, loving hip hop and just bettering the image on, on TV of black people. We have a lot of power and this is what this shows. We have the power to get women (laughs) banned from a sorority, um, that they spent time online pledging and, you know, going through the process for and getting their show canceled. Um, so that's, that's power. So we need to take that power and use it and push towards other things. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to say just, just to the point of like, we got to see how powerful as, as when we come together as a community, how, how, how much strength that we have in getting the show stopped. I think that's the, the point that we want to speak to. I know for me in supporting it, stopping, I wasn't thinking, um, supporting the show being pulled and being canceled. I didn't think that the women that participated in it would be uh, expelled from their sororities. I thought at most there were the two AKA ladies were actually suspended from their sororities. And to me, that made sense. You know, it's an, it's an, in essence, it's a punishment for something that you should not have done. Um, and in essence, we're making an example in that way. But I think to completely take them away from the organization and so that they can never participate in the fellowship in an in an official way, that to me was, I and you, again, I know I don't want the, the Deltas to come and jack me up, but like I just this is my personal view that I'm saying, and I don't know all of the inner workings, but I just think that for me, when I saw that, I was like, I immediately start to think about the women, the individual women that that, ha- that that are going through that and more so to go through that publicly. I think that's part, partially like the biggest thing for me, the fact that this happened and this happened to you publicly. So it's like this further public humiliation. And so you have people that have these memes and different things that are going on. And so you're constantly seeing it. You're constantly being reminded of it. I think that's the most hurtful way. It's one thing to have your letters taken. It's another thing to have your letters taken in a public form of which people get to kind of poke fun at you and joke about it. That just kind of like, it's almost adding like the insult to entry. It's like putting the salt in the wound. And on top of that, it actually happened on their Founders Day, which is a whole other like, dang, bro, you got, there was this one meme that said like, how you got fired? And it was like, on your Founders Day, which eh, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of like, dang, man, when you start thinking about the person and what that actually means on the day that you actually celebrate, you know, the, the founding of, your organization and all that you've done, that's actually the day that you got kicked out. So it's, I don't know, it's it's a rough situation. Yeah, it's crazy. But in other news this week, the State of the Union, which created a lot of buzz on social media, um, the president obviously came in fully swagged out as always. He always has that kind of presence about him. And he's a great speaker, he's a great orator. Um, and his wife, which I'm a fan of Flotus, her, hey. I'm a fa- I'm especially a fan of her clothes. Oh, that Michael Kors outfit was so bad. Loved it. How did you realize that that was Michael Kors? How, it was on how social do... media. It oh, was okay, because I was like, how do women know that? People kept saying it's Michael Kors. I'm like, how do y'all know who made this? Like, the it... root. I had an article on Twitter about it, and that's how I saw that it was Michael Kors. When I first saw it, I was like, that's classic, Michelle. And I tried to mock her style as much as possible 
<laughs> so I'm definitely going to see how I could get access to a suit like that. Um, cause I, I thought it was great. So, um, but the, the most, well, another funny thing I thought about this was Boehner's face because he's super tan and he was the same color as that red part of the flag. But that face, <laughs> people had all these memes about the Grinch and they had more to say about the face than the content of the speech. Oompa-loompas. And, and I was trying to focus on what he was saying in the speech, but that face kind of prohibited me from that. But I, I was able to go back and look at the points and I'm I thought President Obama made some good points. As you know, I'm a registered Republican. So my perspective on things is a little different. I'm not totally for big government, but at the same time, I think we should um, do our due diligence in making sure that people have access to the things that they need. Um, and one of the things that I thought I'm all for was, was the free community college. And I talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, how we're going to pay for that, that's still kind of one of those things I have questions about. Um, and will it take away for from four, four year colleges? I think we have to really look into that. But I think this is a potential option that we should explore and kind of just see, you know, how we can really utilize this um, proposal because I think it was Tennessee who's already done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think I think again, of course, you know, we I, I watched it as well, and I definitely was happy to see the president walk in with his mojo back. I kind of feel like at last State of the Union address, and I actually rewatched that today, uh, earlier today, just to you know get a feel for just how everything was going and rehashing. And of course, that's when he uh, talked about my introduced my brother's keepers and things like that. But I was watching it and I think this time the president walked in with a sense of accomplishment and a sense of achievement. We have all these metrics that the economy is way better than what it it was when the president took office. He had a lot of critics um, on the Repu from the Republican Party. A lot of people critiquing him, saying that you know it's impossible for him to do it. Every time he 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 comes out with something or he p promotes an uh, an initiative or a policy change. He's getting scrutinized for the left and right. At one point in time last year, the rhetoric was he's been the most people. People were promoting stories and this idea that he's been the most unsuccessful president in the history of the presidencies. And so, of course, you know we hear that oftentimes. But I think when we had all of these independent um, analyst companies come out and basically say we have recovered and it's because of these policies you know people are better off people are employed now we we're producing the the same amount of jobs that we did in 1999 um when all of these positive great things are coming out and these are not from uh partisan groups we have the president walked in with this sense of let me tell you what i've done let me tell you what I am going to do. And let me reassure you that these things can and will be done because the same thing, they said that I wouldn't do all of this and I've done it. So in essence, he walked in saying, 
I have the receipts. Let's make it happen. And I was definitely happy to see that. I love that part. I think the free community college thing, that's kind of like the big story that people keep talking about. And as I always say, I definitely want to see the numbers. Of course, I'm a numbers guy, so I want to see the numbers and understand it. But to that point of it impacting universities and taking away from universities, uh, university enrollment numbers are up. But what's also up are the costs to attend university. So I think, if anything, it's going to drive those numbers down. It's going to force these big major universities to come up with different ways to minim to lower their tuition rates so that they can become more competitive. Again, we, we do need economists to look at this and to see, to come up with a, a, an actual analysis of what could potentially happen. But I do think us having a free community college alter alternative, I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful thing. If it's something that we can sensibly do to educate people in a time a time period when a high school diploma doesn't mean too much. And uh, as the president said, I think he said like two and three jobs in the next five or 10 years are going to require that you have some form of higher education, which means that people just uh, having obtaining a high school diploma is not going to be enough. So I thought the speech was great. Um, I did want to see more to be critical and to be fair. I did want to hear more about the things that are happening in Ferguson and things that are happening in New York, these issues between uh, the black community and and the police and police force and police brutality. I wanted to hear more about that in terms of like an actual plan. Um, I'm a part of this group, this like group me group. And so a lot of people were saying that, yeah, it's not going to happen. Of course, you can't expect that. And I do understand the president's position. So it's not something that he can harp on because he is the president of the United States, not the president of black people in the United States. So he can't talk about it fully or all the time or harp on it. But again, that's just something that I wanted to to hear to see happen. Yeah. And I think too, I I think in some instances in the economy, you know, he does have receipts. But I think um I think I was reading an article in Business Insider and it says that, you know, a lot of those jobs were lower, even though the job market is is kind of picking back up, a lot of the jobs are lower than what the um the the income of the jobs is lower than what those who held positions had before. So I may have lost a job and I was making 60 and now I have a new job, but I'm making 35. So I have a new job, but it's not setting me at the income that I had before, or I'm not at the standard of living. So I think it's kind of like, okay, I see the job market growing and we still have a high unemployment rate for African Americans. Um, too so there's a lot um that we have to work on so it's not like man and the whole obamacare i think the success of that is still up for debate and we have to see five years down the line or 10 years or 20 years what the effects are going to be but i think it's it's helping people i don't want to say it's a success or it's a fail i think we still have a long ways to go to see what what it does and how it affects us in the long run well, I think if you have 7 million people that sign up for it uh, at this point and the open enrollment period isn't closed, you have to call that a success, right? Because that means that 7 million people either didn't have insurance or was paying too much insurance in somewhere, some other form, and they're signing up for it because it's needed. So I think in that regard, you have to say for the, the point of helping people, 
it's a success. Like, if, if there was nobody signing up for it, okay, you know, it's debatable. But 7 million people, and it's, like, January 22nd, I kind of think we got to say, all right, like, I think it's a success useful. in that regard, but how it's going to affect the economy long term is the concern that I think many of people on the conservative side have. Um, but I think that's with any program or any entitlement program, there's going to be costs as far as the government and the deficit goes. So I think that's something that we have to look at over the long haul, but I think it's definitely helping people and all, all for helping people. But I think, you know, entitlements are, everybody receives entitlements, big Big business and and those who are um, underprivileged receive entitlement. So I, we have to be fair on all ends because everybody's getting a break in some regard. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, <laughs> I feel like we can definitely dive into that a little bit more. Maybe we'll do that in another show. Um, moving on to our main topic. Today's main topic is kind of heavy. It's a it's a big thing. It's something that Lisa and I have been talking about. I think, and both of us spending time in the DMV area, which I tread lightly to say is like no other place in our country because you're exposed to so much diversity. You're exposed to people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different faith beliefs. Um, and, you know, you j it just kind of puts you in this new place of just learning a lot and learning a lot from other people. And we developed this, this, this idea of talking about why people don't like Christianity. Um, and I think that we, what we want to do and what we should do is we, we want to have foster this, this sense of an open and a real dialogue. I met a friend at my time at the white house and, uh, she's Muslim and we talked about our, our faith beliefs and the differences. And I learned, she enlightened me on a lot of things that I just did not know about, uh, her faith. And, you know, we kind of compared and contrast a lot of things, certain things that were similar, certain things that are different, things that they don't believe in, things that we as Christians do believe in. And it was really interesting to be in this space of true transparency and true openness about the, about the topic um, and about, like, you know, just our, our, our faith. And there was nothing that she could say and I let her know there's nothing that you can say that will offend me. And there's nothing that I hope that there's nothing that I can say that will offend you because I'm not approaching it like, oh, ha, 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 I'm picking on you to, to, to pick an argument. But I literally just want to know more and I want to understand more. And I think in order for us to do that with something as sensitive as religion and, and faith and spirituality, in order for us to have those conversations, we have to create like this safe space and this safe zone where people can talk and communicate about things and not feel that if I say something, you're going to be offended or you're going to like blow up and go off on me. So again, that's what we want to do here. And um, yeah, Lisa, what do you think? Why from, from just your, your time and your experience in, in the DMV, why do you think people don't like Christianity? Um, I think one of the most, um, I guess the prevalent argument is hypocrisy. Um, mm -hmm. Growing up in, people have grown up in church and didn't see people actually live what they say, what they say they do. Um, right. And I think that's, I think Christians' inability to, some Christians' inability to show love and kindness has limited their reach. 
um, because people, my Angelo said this, and this is so true. People don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. So you can't throw truth at somebody without first, without first expressing love because, you know, it just comes off harsh. Like you don't know me. And I always say, the Bible says, share the truth in love. I always say that the truth in love doesn't necessarily mean I say something to you in the nicest way, but it does mean that I'm committed to your process. Right. And so I may share truth with you. It may be hard for you to hear, but am I going to walk with you through the process? And if I'm willing to walk with you through the process, even though you might be in the wrong, but if I'm committed to sticking with you, whether you change or not, then that shows love. And I think that we want to kind of, sometimes Christians kind of want to just throw the truth at somebody and run and don't want to be there for the process. Don't want to help them get better. And really it's hard work to stick out, stick it out with somebody. (laughs) That is very true. That's the number one reason. But I, I do think too, when you're in a DMV area, you're around young professionals. Young professionals are educated. Statistically, the more educated you are, the less likely you are to believe in organized religion. And that's because education just in our education systems, we get a lot to think about. We get a lot of different views and meet a lot of different people. And then Mm -hmm. we begin to question things. Mm -hmm. And so once you begin to question things, and if you don't have anybody else, a lot of African-Americans are the first people in their in their family to go to college. So if you're having these battles within yourself and when you go to try to ask your home base or your church home and they have somebody who hasn't processed these thoughts, then you're going to be like, well, y'all don't know. Y'all didn't have these damn experiences, so you can't help me. So, you know, you're kind of stuck in a, your, your thing is they're stuck in a box and you think differently and you have all this knowledge. So, you know, and you trust the PhDs that you hear from, like right. if they went to school for eight years for this, you know, they must be right. And so you kind of put your trust in them and you kind of say, well, my uneducated family doesn't know any better. And they just stuck on this book. And how many people wrote this book and how many times was it interpreted and all that stuff. And so you get confused and then you just go with, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. And you right. throw it out. And right. so I think hypocrisy, um, not having a, a avenue where you can kind of process what you're dealing with and the questions you have hinders people and kind of helps it, it enables people and causes young professionals to question their, their Christianity or what, what they grew up believing. Exactly. And so I think one of the things too, and it's something that I've, I've learned since I've been here I've, and I've shared this with you and I'll just be slightly transparent with uh, our listeners. One of the things that kind of hit me when I got here was I never felt like I was on the outside of Christianity, right? Like I've never felt like I, I was not a part of a, a body of believers. And I say that from the standpoint of to have someone look at you and say that like, you're not a part of my group or you're not a part of my church or you don't do things this way. And you, so therefore you're not equivalent to me, if you will. I never experienced that until I got here. And <laughs> when it happened, I was kind of like, wait, what? Huh? Um, and I think that what I started to realize, and I had a couple conversations with people that I uh, spent time with friends that I made at the White House. And what I started to learn was that 
as Christians, sometimes because we are speaking truth and we're telling people what we believe and that person may not believe it or that person may be on the other side of, you know, knowledge, if you will, we don't create a space for that person. And that in turn turns them off. And I think that that is the one thing that I'm seeing here and I'm experiencing here is it's perfectly fine that you don't agree with something. It's perfectly fine that you don't support with something, but create a space for that to exist. And that way you can create a pathway to truth, right? If, if, if it is true that you don't agree with this aspect of somebody's life, and you, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, as a, a potential disciple, if that's your if that's where you're at and that's your position, you have to really listen to where this person is, understand where they are, and help them get onto this path in this journey and lead them. In essence, if you're telling me that. You, this is the right way to go, and this is what the Word of God says, and this is what uh, God wants me to do, or this is what God, this is how God wants me to live. Well, create a space where I can exist, and then teach me how to get on that path. And I think with so many issues, what happens is the church will take a position of it's just right or wrong, it's very black or white, and for those people that are on the other side, it's either you do it or don't do it. And I think look life is a little more complicated than that. You know, reality is a lot more complicated that you sometimes have people that this is their first time really hearing anything about Christianity or seeing a Christian. And so if you are going and presenting yourself as a Christian, and you may not be saying that you're perfect, you may very well acknowledge to yourself or to your close friends that you have issues but when you talk to somebody, you completely shut down their point of view and their perspective, and you don't create a space for them to exist within your belief system. Well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to stay on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're, you're proclaiming to help them and to love them. And, oh, I love people and I love all mankind. Well, that's not true. Because if you did love them, then you would create a space to understand. And I think the biggest example is if you find a person in your family that does something, somebody that you're close to, your sibling, your child, your mom, if you find that they are doing something that you disagree with, the first thing that you do is you go to try to talk to them. You try to reason with them. You try to get them to understand the other side or your point of view and why they shouldn't do it. You don't immediately cut them off. And if you immediately cut them off, you've just lost this person that you're saying that you're here to disciple people for God or to bring people to Christ. There's, in essence, it, it it's almost this rhetoric that I've seen here that we just want to help the people that are a part of our group. We want to help the people that are not a part that may not be a part of our group, but they're already wanting to be a part of our group. We don't want to help the people that are not interested in being a part of our group, right? And they may not be, they may not have no type of faith base, faith base, and they may be slightly interested or could be interested in it, but it's because you say that, oh, it's those people over there. You're not a part of this group. I'm not going to do with that. And I think that what I've experienced so far, that's kind of like, the biggest thing. And I'm like, man, you know, and one thing I'll say, and I'll tip my hat off to the church that I've been visiting here is that there's real dialogue and real, real mention of that, right? So you start talking about those things that are unpopular. You start talking about those things that people traditionally in the church don't talk about and don't want to acknowledge, but you have to say that, hey, this is a real factor. And so if we're really trying to win souls to God for God, then guess what? We have to talk about this because this, this exists in today's time. I think 
and I'll speak and I, to that. I think that, that I used to I, be that person. Like, like I think I, that, that the the opposite the, the opposite the, perspective or the the grace for that is like, like I used to be I, that person. I used to I, be that I'm gonna shut I'm, you down. Um, I'm not gonna think critically to, through what you're saying. Um, before I moved to DC and before I started seminary, because I think the less you know, mm-hmm. um, the more arrogant sometimes you present your ideas. Mm-hmm. The more you know, um, the more, the more you're it. You the more you know, the re- the more you realize you don't know, and I think that's my experience in seminary. The more I learned, the realize the more I realized that I, man, I don't know. And so some of the things that I would argue a person down on before I went to seminary, I'd be like, you know, I see how you got to that position. Like you start seeing other views, and yeah. it might not change your view, but you're a little bit more humble in your presentation. Like I see how you got there. I see how why you believe that, and like like that legitimately makes sense. And I could see how you would even get that from the Bible. Yeah. Um, I might not agree with your position and I might land on the, not land on the same conclusion, but me having the opposite perspective and saying, you know, a lot of stuff really. One thing when I got to seminary, I realized, man, a lot of stuff is gray, like a lot. And I yeah. want it to be black and white because that would make it so much easier if it was black and white. But I think I, I went through this um, just to be transparent. I went through. Um, I think a couple months in seminary where I started questioning my belief in God altogether. Hmm. And um, that was really tough because when you question your faith in God, like that changes everything. I, I always think, say it's, it's two critical questions you, you must ask yourself. Do I believe in God? If the answer is yes, then do I trust him? If, if yeah. the answer is just to both of those questions, then you're good. Like yeah. cause you could, you're, you're like, I could get through anything cause I got God. I could trust him. He's going to see me through. But if, if the answer to the first question is no, then I can't get to the second. And right. so right. that's, that's, I, so that was one thing. Then I went through a phase where I was like, man, you know what? I'm not sure if I believe the Bible. It, like, and I'm, I'm like legit. I'm, I'm a, I'm a church leader. Um, I'm in seminary, but once you start hearing different people's perspective, you start questioning things and you go through phases and thank, I'm so thankful. And this is what made, this is what helped me so much. When I went to my professors, like I was legit struggling and I went to my professors almost in tears and he was like, Oh yeah. When I was in seminary, I struggled with that too. And I was wow. like, oh, okay, thank you. Wow. Does that mean <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not going to hell or, you know, <laughs> I'm not losing my mind. And he was right. like, no, it, it's normal. You, you mean, you're learning a lot. You're going to have these doubts. You're going to wrestle. And so he was like, read this book, look at this. And, you know, hopefully, you know, come and talk to me and we can talk through things when you have these questions. And so I spent hours in their office talking about things and kind of hashing it out. And so now with that perspective, now I'm able to take that and say, you know what? When people come to me, I'm like, yeah, man, that's real. Like yeah, I had that yeah. same struggle. And you, 
it's amazing that your struggles help you sympathize with other people, sympathize and empathize with others. So I think, you know, for people who are harsh, you know, saying, oh, these Christians are so narrow minded, be gracious for them because they in their mind, they think they think they're doing the right thing. Right. And because at once upon a time, I thought I was doing the right thing. But I, you could be sincerely wrong. And I, I believe they're sincere. They just are sincerely wrong in some instances. So give right. grace for that because you've been sincerely wrong in some instances. It may not have been religion, but it's something else. You know, you thought you were doing the right thing. You aren't, you know. So be gracious for that. But on the flip side, there are some people and some resources and apologetic resources. That's what they call it, a defense for the faith. Um, that do this all the time and you can read that and kind of throw thoughts at those and say, you know what, you don't get what I'm going through because you haven't had this struggle, but let me, let me find somebody who has and kind of hash this out with and go from there. But had I not had those experiences where I went through moments where I'm like, okay, is there a God? Um, you know, that affects your prayer life because you're not going to pray if you don't think there's a God. Um, yeah, you, you know, those kinds of things and those kinds of struggles um, help you be a little bit more sensitive. So just realize, hey, they haven't had that struggle. So I'm going to kind of be gracious with them. But I need to get answers. So right. I'm going to go search out answers. Right. I think that and I've said this to you before off the air. I think in this time, you've definitely been like a constant voice of hope, a constant voice of reason. Um, just from the the sense of you let me know that it was okay to kind of explore this space, right? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to, uh, you know, really be open open to listening to someone else. I remember telling a friend of mine about, you know, the different people that I was meeting and, you know, uh, hey, I met this person with this lifestyle and I met this person with that lifestyle. And I don't want to put, you know, anybody out there, but just kind of explaining that, you know, it was really different. And in essence for, it was partially a culture shock because in Florida and the South, I never had to deal with this. You know, I heard about these things or heard about these things on television, but I never had to call these people, my colleagues, you know, make friendships with these people. And I never had to do that, but I started to, in doing that, I started to see the humanity in these people. And I started to see that, Hey, you know, they 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 got to this place in life or they got on this journey and they ended up their result was here their resolve was this is their belief for whatever reasons and i became open to listen to that and i remember mentioning it to a friend of mine and they were just kind of like don't get yourself caught up like you gotta you gotta protect yourself from all of that stuff and i'm like well it's kind of impossible to tell everybody in the office that i work in in the white house that like shut up and don't talk to me right because i kind of you know like i have to have these experiences and not that i have to believe all of this stuff and there are things that i've been told that you know i'm just like hey i think i get how your experience got you there but my resolve is just that's not what i believe or that's just not you know my belief system but what i for me it's just important to still allow these people to be human right if i know that you know our beliefs are are contrary to each other Every time I see you, I don't have to tell you how I think you're wrong. Every time I see you, I don't have to tell you that I think you're going to go and burn in hell. Like, that's, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's such an extreme position that people want you to take and people try to tell you to take. And I just think that it's not really, that's not real, right? It's not something that you can do and still be able to, um, 
that's it's not something that you can do and still be able to like function properly in, in front of these people. So you guys let us know what you think about this. I think this is a, again, it's a very touchy subject. I think we try to address it from a place of being real and being understanding. Um, but we also want to have a conversation with both sides. I think sometimes two Christians can get a bad rap. Uh, and I think people can kind of just say, because it is the predom the prevailing thought process or idea that people just want to discredit. It, and I think that's unfair as well. So let us know what you think. Use the hashtag chat BC and let's talk about it yes yes but now it's time for our random topic so we're gonna play instead of reading the story because every week we read the story we're just gonna play our random topic for you guys this week and we're gonna try not to laugh because this really when i tell you this made my night it made my night <laughs> you see growing up I had only one good pair of shoes. So on rainy school days, my mom would slip plastic bread bags over them to keep them dry. But I was never embarrassed because the school bus would be filled with rows and rows of young Iowans with bread bags slipped over their feet. <laughs> the GOP's response to President Obama's State of the Union speech was, uh, Iowa Senator named Joni Ernst. And um, yeah, I just was like, OMG, who put this lady on here? I just feel like my, my, the party that I'm a, a part of, y'all disappoint me so much. Y'all choose as y'all mouthpiece just blows me every time. Like, really? She started talking about Hardee's, biscuits, and she only had one pair of shoes and she put bread back. I get that you're trying to be relatable, but it, it just, that was like, I said, are we watching SNL right now? I said, did we just flip from the state of the union to SNL? I just, that was so unbelievable. My mom told me, she was like, they just make it so easy for Saturday night live. <laughs> I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, really? That's what y'all came up with. I can never look at, um, I can never, and you know, Hardy's Biscuits made from scratch. <laughs> so she was doing some work and, and she probably had them, that bread bag over her shoes while she her was shoes. making the biscuits. And she said she wasn't embarrassed because everybody else on the bus, there was rows and rows of students on the bus that had bread bags over their shoes as well. But let it's me tell you something. If you want to tell a story for a relatability factor, make sure you use something that's relatable to the whole United States. Right. Because I have never seen that um, <laughs> in my life. And yeah, I was like, what? She, she's out of touch. I hope she's not running for president in 2016 because we're we going to lose. Yeah, it was just, it, it was so funny because you called me about it and on Twitter, my Twitter kept, I kept seeing people on Twitter that said it and I actually saw this one comment and I just started rolling because literally it was like it was such a, a, a like calculated and planned way to try to relate to people that it was so far fetched. Like your your sense of struggle is that you worked and you you like made biscuits from scratch and then that you had to wear bread bags on your shoes. Like that's such a unique thing that it just seems like. I guess you think that that's going to make us all relate to you. And it was just, it was just a horrible attempt and it was funny as heck. Uh, of course, Twitter as usual 
goes in, people started to soar on this idea of this lady with his bread bags. And so it was hilarious. It was crazy, crazy. I, I listened to it now, and we started listening to it tonight to prepare for the show. And, of course, I was rolling. Like, it's hilarious. And she was like, we've heard your, when we the, when y'all voted 2014, we heard y'all cries loud and clear. I said all 10,000 people who voted out of the whole of the United States. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. <laughs> I'm just joking. It she was hurt. really 10,000 people voted, but y'all know voter turnout was low. Yeah. Uh, but, but she yeah, heard all the cries. <laughs> I was just like, uh-uh, y'all got to stop this. <laughs> well, to continue on with this, with uh, the State of the the State of the Union address, um, our quote of the week actually comes from our president, and it is an incredible quote of the week, and I think that Everybody will be able to relate to it because, of course, social media went crazy with this one as well. Here's the quote of the week. I have no more campaigns to run. My only agenda... I know because I won both of them. Um, the shade. <laughs> through. I you go, man. You go. Yes. That's how you respond to your critics. He delivered a great, great, great dose of shade. He came back at the GOP. The the, the story is uh, when the president said that remark about having no more uh, uh, races to run, you had people from the GOP that started to clap, even some people that began to stand to clap. And so his response off the record wasn't even in there was, I know because I want both of them. In essence, let me check you guys because you want to, you know, try to shade me for saying that, hey, good thing you, you're getting out of office, but check this. I want both of them. It was, yo, very classic. I think everybody was was just super happy. It was super funny and just proud of the president. And I think, again, as I said earlier, that goes to him walking in with this sense of achievement, a sense of accomplishment and saying, I have receipts. You guys have been doing all these talking. Where are your receipts? I got them. Like, it was great. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of Brunch Culture. As always, you can hit us up on www.brunchculturebc.com and check us out on social media on Twitter at Brunch Culture, on Instagram at Brunch underscore culture, and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Brunch Culture. And join the conversation with hashtag BC. Chat BC. Chat B, hashtag Chat BC. And remember on Brunch Culture, everything is up for discussion. <laughs>